a Playlist original. Hey everyone, Jeff here from Films at Home. Thanks for coming back to the Films at Home podcast today. Whether you're listening on your favorite podcast app or you're watching our video stream on YouTube, I appreciate your support. We're getting very close to crossing the 50,000 audio download mark, which is super cool. And on YouTube, the support has been incredible as well. So I appreciate everybody, whether you're watching, listening, however you're consuming this stuff. It's been really cool and it's helped me land some great guests like last week's guest, Todd, from Paramount, which was a super cool conversation. Now, today's podcast episode, what I'm going to be doing is answering your questions. I put out a post on my YouTube community page, and I asked you guys to submit questions that you'd like me to answer in a future podcast episode, and this is that episode. So I am going to be going through those community posts, looking at your questions, uh, calling you guys out by name if you ask some good questions, and hopefully answering them and sharing my opinions, uh, whatever expertise I might have on physical media and home entertainment and this whole world of of movie collecting and home theater. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, if you do enjoy this episode, I'd appreciate if you like the video and make sure you subscribe here on YouTube so you don't miss another episode. I also have a full playlist on YouTube of all my past episodes. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you are, please make sure you follow along there. And if you enjoy the episode, give us a five-star review because that definitely helps spread the word as we try to grow this podcast. So I appreciate that very much. And now, right off the cuff, this is unscripted. I'm just going to read these questions and start answering them right off the top of my head. And we're going to start with a couple from Jason Madwell. Jason Madwell, he commented, he actually has three different questions and it looks like he got a bunch of likes on the post. So I'm going to answer these because clearly there's some interest here. Jason's first question is, is there a limit to how big you will let your physical media collection get? Um, great question. I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, about how I've curated the collection, how I've tried to like pare it down and really get it to be more a personal reflection of myself versus just kind of a buy everything, uh, type of collection. Um, I think the limit really is just space for me. Um, when I start feeling like the space that I'm in, I have a pretty good sized, basement. It's not massive, um, but it is, you know, it's bigger than a bedroom. It's bigger than the room I was in in my previous house. It's fairly good size. I also have my home office in here where I work from home, my day job. This is where I record all these podcasts as well. So this is a, this is a space for me. And when this space becomes, uh, starts when the walls start closing in because I have too much in this room, that's when I know I've let my collection get too big and it's time to sell some stuff, trade in some stuff, give away some stuff, donate some stuff. So sort of the only limitation for me is the space. And if I start to feel uncomfortable, then I will pare it down. I would love to expand the space. I would love to, you know, come up with more unique storage solutions. But at the end of the day, my collection right now sits at around 2000 movies I could probably get to about 2,500 in this room. And when I get to 2,500 again, 
I am probably going to pare that back down to about 2000 and then kind of start over. So it's a constant curation, but I'd say about 2000 to 2500 discs is about as large as I'd like this to get before it starts to kind of close in on me. Now, if you have more space, like if you have different ways of storing, like by all means, you could do whatever you wanted. That's just my personal situation. I don't think there's ever a number that's like too big. It's more just about like the room and how comfortable I'm feeling with these items. And, you know, am, am I buying movies and am I getting movies that actually mean anything to me? And if I'm not, then, you know, those go in a donation bin. Um, follow up to this question Jason had, if you had to reduce your collection, how low do you think you could get it before you got to a place where everything was a must keep or a must have? Um, that's tough. There's a lot of stuff. When I look at my collection, a lot of what I have right now for me is a a must have or a must keep. That's a lot of it is also just movies that I think I should own or like I'm keeping because like, okay, someday the kids are going to want to watch this or, you know, this is a really uh, important movie for whatever reason. Like it's a a historical movie that I really want to have in my collection. I want to have a preserved Um, I'm doing less and less of that. It's more about me and what I love. I think if I had to go lower, I could probably get this down to like, I could probably get it down to like a thousand or 1500. Like I could probably cut another thousand to 500 movies out of my collection. Like 1000 movies. I don't think I'd want to go lower than that. I mean, there's just, there's a thousand horror movies, which is my favorite genre that, I'd want to keep. And that doesn't even include all the other stuff, which I love. So probably like a thousand to 1500. Um, and then Jason followed up here. Third question. If there was a technological breakthrough and streaming was able to show 4k movies at the same quality as physical copies, would you continue to collect physical media? It's a really good question. And it's something I think about a lot. Um, I'm not necessarily I'm not really thinking that streaming because of bandwidth and internet connectivity. And, you know, there's just, there's not the infrastructure in place right now to have 4k movies at the same uncompressed or, or, you know, mostly uncompressed level that a disc is at with the uncompressed audio, all that stuff. That's, that's years away, but there's products out there like Kaleidoscape where basically you can just download the raw 4k digital file. You know, it's going to be, 60 to 80 gigs and you can watch that in your home theater without a disc if that technology gets cheaper if that becomes more widely available if it's easier to to download and own and like i want to have ownership so I'd, i'd look at like what the licensing rights are to these types of things can i save them on a local drive or a or an nas type system so that i can't lose them like those are important too but if those come around and those get cheaper which i think they will um yeah i mean i'd consider it i'd still collect physical media though but i would be much more focused on the limited editions um like restorations of old movies, special edition horror movies, you know, even if streaming or Kaleidoscape type technology comes along so far that it is, it is easily available to every consumer to get these raw 4k files. 
they're still not going to have the licensing or the rights to everything. Like that's just impossible. So there's going to be obscure movies. There's going to be lost movies. There's going to be horror movies, which you can only buy from like a vinegar syndrome or synapse or Severin or arrow or shout like Criterion's going to have exclusivity. And you know, there's going to be a reason to buy physical media and that's going to be like access to, to certain films, certain TV shows uh, that these services won't have. So what I could see myself doing is buying way less of like the new release stuff. Like, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about a movie that came out recently, like the Fablemans um, that I have the 4k disc for. That's the type of movie where if you gave me a raw digital download that was uncompressed, like I'd probably just go that route. Like it's not a movie I think I need to own necessarily, um, but it's a movie I want to see. So in this case, you know, I watch the disc and then I get ready to trade it, sell it, whatever. Uh, in that case, I could even, you know, just rent it um, or buy a digital version of it and have it stored on a hard drive. So I could definitely see that, but there's a ton of stuff still that that won't be available. And that'll be the reason physical media sticks around long after like technology catches up. Uh, and it may not be discs. Like I could see this going to like USB drives or little SD cards or some other like smaller storage method for you to physically own movies because that just takes up less space and makes more sense. I don't know if they'll ever get there because the cloud and and streaming tech will will probably come around. But I just don't see myself buying as many new release movies unless it's like catalog titles that haven't been upgraded on on these services. But I still think that this is like a solid 10 years away from me even having to think about that. Like I, everybody is still so far behind on the technology and even Kaleidoscape is just so cost prohibitive to like, to spend like two grand just on a system to watch your movies and then have to go buy the movies while you also had to spend all the money on home theater, TVs, speakers. Like most people just can't do that. just doesn't make sense cost wise. If you get a Kaleidoscape that gets down to a couple hundred bucks, the price of a 4k player, now you could have me interested. So thank you for the questions, Jason. I'm going to move on to another question here from Half-Baked Movie Podcast. Um, so I guess go check them out. I don't know their podcast, but Half-Baked Movie Podcast sent a question in. And they said, do you think Criterion's recent announcements have been declining in imagination? Seems like a lot of 4K reissues and releases of films that already have decent releases. Um, my opinion on the Criterion Collection is that, I first of all, I love the Criterion Collection. I, I really like the Criterion Collection. I like what they do. Um, I, I appreciate the collection as a whole. Like, I think it's a good thing for physical media, and they've been an establishment in this world for 30, 40 years, since the days of Laserdisc. What I will say is that I don't think the Criterion label carries as much weight as it used to. At this point, it seems like Criterion's releases are mostly from like deals they have with certain directors and relationships they have with certain directors or their deals they have with like Netflix to release Netflix originals. They're still doing a ton of foreign films. They're doing documentaries. They're doing great work there, but it does feel like they've gone a little bit more mainstream, which does make sense for their business. Like you need to create 4K discs that are going to sell or Criterion won't do 4K. Like that's probably why they held out for so long. You need to have the right release. But a lot of their stuff, like I just don't think the Criterion collection is the end all be all for like 
what a good movie is and what isn't. Like if a movie's not in the Criterion Collection, I don't think that says anything about it. And if a movie is in the Criterion Collection, I don't really think that says a whole lot about it either, other than somebody with that movie probably has a relationship with Criterion. Like at this point, they're a really good boutique label, but they're just another boutique Blu-ray 4K label that's doing, you know, the same stuff that Kino Loiber or Arrow Video or Shout Factory or Vinegar Syndrome or any of these other guys are doing. You know, they're getting licenses to certain films. They need to sell. They need to get stuff that's popular. That's what they're going to put out. So, you know, I don't think that their their announcements have been like declining in imagination, um, but I don't think they're the gold standard that maybe they once were. I think a lot of other people have caught up to them and probably even surpassed them at this point, even when it comes to film transfers and special features that are included on these releases, uh, packaging options. Like I think, I think Criterion could be due for some some innovation or a little bit of a shakeup there um, because I think the vinegar syndromes, the arrows, the shouts, the kinos have sort of passed them by in the world of boutique. They're still definitely, you know, they get by on brand recognition and the fact they've been around forever. Um, but I don't think they're that gold standard. Um, so I think what they're trying to do is play catch up. And that's why maybe you're seeing a, um, you know, a lack in, in creativity or imagination with their releases. Cause they need to put stuff out like Thelma and Louise on 4k that's going to sell. Um, even then that that's a little bit of a bare bones release. Um, but they need to do that because it's going to be a commercially like popular movie that'll sell a lot. They need to sell those in order to do some of the other cool stuff and the restorations that they do on, on foreign movies and documentaries and other real independent stuff. Same with the Netflix movies. Like the reason they put out the Irishman or the reason they put out, you know, uh, what's another one, Okja, or um, uh, there's another one coming. I think they're they're doing Nightmare Alley from Guillermo del Toro. Like, the reason they put out these more popular movies is to make the money to, I think, help offset the restoration costs for some of the stuff that may just break even or may even be, like, a loss leader for them. So, I don't know. That's, that's just my opinion on them. I still love them. I have hundreds of Criterion discs. I'm going to continue to support them. They're a great label, but I just think others have caught up to them where they used to be sort of the only one in that boutique world doing, you know, crazy good work. Uh, a lot of other people have, have caught them at this point. Um, let's see another question here. Let's go to, um, oh, well, here's one from the question. We have a question from a user named the question. Uh, he says, is it, is it too late or she is it too late to jump on the physical media train? And what are your feelings on used or secondhand media? So answer the first part first. Absolutely not. Like now is maybe the best time to jump on the physical media train because you're at a you're at an age of physical media where we're sort of at the peak. Like if you jumped onto physical media in 2007, you were probably still buying DVDs. Then you upgrade your DVDs to Blu-ray. Now you're upgrading your Blu-rays to 4K. If you start buying physical media in 2023, you have so many options for formats, limited editions, different restorations, and so much available content on even 4K at the highest level. It's a great time to jump in. There's so many companies doing great work in this space. So it's definitely not too late. I would encourage you to, to jump in now spend a couple hundred bucks, buy yourself a 4K player, go nuts, buy some 4K discs. I think you'll be really impressed. But there's just so much available now. It's like the, the train is still in the station. It hasn't left yet. Definitely jump in now. Um, 
And then my feelings on used or secondhand media. I mean, I have a ton of used stuff. I have a ton of secondhand movies. I shop at Bull Moose. They have lots of used. I don't know if I've ever bought a a new movie, at least in store from Bull Moose. Like I order movies from them online. I've pre-ordered some stuff. I've got new copies. But when I go into the store, I'm looking for the used stuff. I'm looking for stuff that people have traded in. Maybe it's more obscure. Maybe it's rare. Or maybe it's just like, you know, takes five bucks off the cost of something. But as long as the discs are in good shape, there's really nothing to worry about buying secondhand media. Like I think that's a great way to build a collection. In fact, that's how I built probably the majority of my collection. Secondhand media, buying used, buying on eBay, buying on Facebook, buying on Mercari, um, going to a place like Bull Moose, going to your Goodwill or Salvation Army. I have found so many Blu-rays for a dollar, two dollars at Goodwill, uh, Salvation Army, thrift stores. I mean, I've I found Criterion releases on Blu-ray for two or three bucks. I found Dawn of the Dead Blu-ray when it was out of print at a Goodwill for $2. Uh, you can find crazy stuff there. People are trading in their movie collections all the time as people move to streaming. So it's actually a great time to jump into physical media. Uh, and it's a great time because there's so much used in secondhand media that you can purchase. I would highly, highly recommend uh, going that route for sure. Um, here's a question from Tyler Dorer or Doer. Uh, with new 13.1 receivers coming out. So that's going to be 13 speakers, one subwoofer. Do you think there is a point to anything more than a 7.2.2 sound system, which would be seven speakers, two height speakers, two subwoofers? Um, I would say for 99% of people, no. Like 99% of people are using a sound bar or have a 5.1. Most people don't have a 7.1. Most people don't have a 7.2.2. I mean, myself, I don't have two subwoofers. I have one large subwoofer because for my space, I mean, yeah, could I probably do two? Yes, but I don't need them. So I have five speakers, two heights, and a subwoofer. And that works perfectly fine for me. Seven speakers and a subwoofer is more than enough for my space. If you have like this huge million-dollar house and you have this dedicated home theater then yeah, I could see you going to like a 13.1. I guess that would make sense, right? For like the highest end 1% of the 1% home theater. But the reality is most people don't have that. That's going to be a very niche product. Like most people are using a 5.1 system, a 7.1 or like a 5.2.1 like I have. Um, and and realistically, most people are, are using sound bars or some other um, more minimalist technology because setting up seven speakers in a room is not easy. So I think it's like, uh, it depends on your space. If you've got that big thousand square foot dedicated home theater, by all means, put, put 20 speakers in there. Like, you know, do real custom work. I don't care what you do, but 13 speakers in the average person's home for a consumer product doesn't really make sense to me. That just, I, I, I can't even think about where I'd put 13 speakers in this room and I have a more space than most people probably have dedicated to this stuff and mine is still you know just a a kind of small portion of the room where I have a tv in my speakers so yeah I mean the technology is going to keep improving but it's just going to become more niche and niche like the the, if the soundbar technology can continue to grow or um, they can do better wireless speakers things like that I think that has more of a 
an average consumer benefit than any like 13.1 receivers. And I definitely don't think you have to upgrade. If you have a 7.2.2 system already, you're in great shape. That's an awesome system. Like definitely don't feel the need to go out and buy, you know, four more speakers to add to that or, you know, that's just crazy. Um, let's see, Dennis Oliveris, do you have a favorite home theater YouTube channel? Uh, one and number two, do you have a method for choosing what movie to watch or rewatch on any given day? Um, favorite home theater YouTube channels. First of all, Vincent and HD, uh, TV tech, I think is his channel. Am I getting that wrong? Uh, TV tech, I think is his channel. HDTV net. I'd have to double check, but, um, while I'm on YouTube, I'm going to check that because I don't want to get that wrong. Oh, HDTV test. That's what it is. HDTV test. Um, he's really, really good. He knows his stuff and he gets all the latest, like he's at CES every year and he knows so much more. Like I learn from him all the time. I never claim to be a home theater expert. I love physical media. I love getting in, you know, in the weeds on restorations and, uh, how these discs look, but I'm not a home theater expert. I learn a lot from him. Um, so he's a really good one. Uh, Elon Osborne is another uh, guy I follow on Instagram, uh, specifically for audio stuff too. He's really, really good. So I'd recommend finding him. He has a great Instagram page. He has a great YouTube channel as well. He probably deserves a lot more subscribers than he has. Um, in terms of choosing what movie to watch or rewatch, I mean, I don't have a real method other than if we have a free night and we have some time, um, then, you know, I just kind of ask my wife and we usually like switch off. So like, uh, last night we watched Mamma Mia on 4k, which means the next time we watch a movie, I'll probably try to suggest something and then she'll suggest something. So we just kind of, we kind of switch off. I'll kind of ask like, what are you in the mood for comedy? You know, do you want something funny? Do you care if I put on something, you know, a horror movie? Do you care if I put on like an action movie? You know, we watched Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent the, the night before Mamma Mia. So like that's kind of the switch off. There isn't a real method. Just kind of like, what are we in the mood for? Sometimes you don't want something heavy. Uh, sometimes she doesn't really like horror. She doesn't want to deal with that. So we'll watch a comedy or, you know, just whatever we're kind of in the mood for determines what we're going to watch that night, um, which this question kind of ties into another one from Ahmed uh, Saavedra. Uh, how much time do you spend per week on movie watching? Do you only have time for new releases or can you go back into your catalog and rewatch your favorites? Um, I mean, how much time a week do I spend? I would say between five to 10 hours a week. I really like to try to watch a movie like four or five nights a week. So there's like eight to 10 hours right there. Um, but you know, occasionally I'll, I'll pop something in on like, uh, my lunch break or, you know, on the weekends, sometimes I'll watch multiple movies. So that's about it. I mean, you can tell from my content, like I do try to get as many 4k reviews out as possible, but even on a good week, I'm probably getting two or three 4k reviews out. It's really hard to keep up with all the new releases. I am watching a lot of catalog stuff. Um, I've mentioned this before, but like I'm writing a book right now on my journey through horror movie history, um, starting with the earliest horror movies, bringing that all the way up to the the latest stuff. So I've been rewatching a lot of movies. Um, I'm in the 1920s right now. So like I'm watching Dr. Caligari, I'm watching Haxon, I'm watching Nosferatu, um, you know, and then I'll be in the thirties and forties. So like sometimes 
I spent some time watching that stuff and going back into the catalog for research. Um, I'm going to be on a podcast episode next week talking about Prince of Darkness when John Carpenter's movie. So like I'll be rewatching that. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely rewatch a lot more stuff than I probably watch new releases. I try to stay up to date on all my new releases, but I am uh, definitely behind, as you can probably see on my channel with some of the, the 4K reviews that may be missing. I am I'm behind on the new releases. I try to cover most of them. Um, but yeah, about I'd say eight to 10 hours a week is is about as as good as I get right now with the two kids under two years old, um, as many of you can probably imagine. Um, here's a good question from Marco Esquandoles. He is also a channel member. So thank you. He's been a member for one year and one month. That's awesome. Um, but he said, give five of your most rewatchable movies and then name five movies you enjoyed, but probably won't watch again. Okay. And then this is off the top of my head. I didn't see this beforehand. So this is putting me on the spot. Five of my most rewatchable movies. I mean, number one, Jaws. I think you can watch that movie over and over and over again. It's so good. You can pick up something different every time. Uh, Halloween, 1978. Same thing there. I just think it's so rewatchable. It immediately, especially in the fall, immediately puts me into like Halloween, spooky season vibes. Like I'll watch that movie multiple times, but you can even pop it in in the summer. You can pop it in in the winter. Like it's a great movie to rewatch. Um, Jurassic Park is another one. Again, I just, the, the, quality of that movie it's just so entertaining i could watch it over and over and over again john wick is another one that i find myself like the other day i was putting together an ikea uh dresser for one of the kids rooms and so i was like well let me put a movie on you know in the background something i've seen before but that i love watching john wick is what came up because i just it, again so immensely entertaining um, so that's four off the top of my head. And then, man, a fifth, something super rewatchable. I'd probably have to say like the dark Knight just doesn't get old. Like Heath Ledger as the Joker. That is still probably the perfect superhero movie. Um, I, I just, if that's on TV, I could watch it over and over and over again. I mean, it's just always, always captures my attention. So that's off the top of my head. I mean, if you gave me more time to make a list, I'm sure I'd come up with some other stuff. Um, but then five movies you enjoyed, but probably won't watch again. Um, the thing with those is like a lot of those are going to be like movies that have a sort of twist or something that you're really like anticipating. And then once you find out, like it takes away from the movie. So like, not that these are bad movies, but like Knives Out, and uh the glass onion like are two that immediately come to mind where like i loved those movies i don't know that they have a great rewatchability factor because when you take away the mystery of it you take away a little bit of the magic of that movie itself like the first time you watch it is so good um and i love it but like i don't see myself going back to necessarily revisit it and i feel that way sometimes about like M. Night Shyamalan's movies, although I will rewatch like Signs and The Sixth Sense because I do like those. But, um, you know, maybe a movie like The Visit, I really, really enjoyed from him. But once you know the twist, 
that movie becomes a lot less powerful. It's definitely not as, you know, scary or intense when you know the ending um, versus some of his other stuff. Um, And, you know, there's other movies out there. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of like dramas that, you know, okay, I saw it. Do I ever need to see it again? No. Um, I'm trying to think. This is really, really hard off the top of my head. I mean, I I, want to say something like, I don't know, to kill a mockingbird. Like, I don't, I don't, I didn't like, I enjoyed that a lot, but like, would I find myself going back to watch that again? Would that be like a choice? Something I pull off the shelf to watch? No, not compared to some of those other five movies I just named. Um, so stuff like that, I guess that's only four. If I had to pick one more, um, honestly, Halloween ends. I, I kind of, I, I've come around on that movie and even some of the newer Halloweens. I'll watch Halloween 2018 over and over and over again. Um, I, I love that. I don't think the other two sequels, like I feel that way with some of the horror movie sequels, even like the latest movie scream five, like I loved scream five, but again, once you sort of know it takes away the magic of that movie a little bit. I don't like it as I don't think it plays as well as like the original scream that you can rewatch and, and still have a really good time with it, It's sort of those types of movies, if that makes sense. But there is stuff like seven, I'll watch seven over and over again, even though I know the ending, I'll watch stuff like the game and other things from David Fincher that may have a twist ending over and over and over again, because I love them and, and they are rewatchable. Um, here's another question from the ranking renegade who says he's just starting a YouTube channel centered around movies and rankings. What do you think is a reasonable subscriber goal after one year? Um, I'd say this right now. If you're starting a YouTube channel about ranking movies, you have an uphill climb because obviously that's very saturated. A lot of people um, are already doing that, have been doing it for years. There's a ton of competition in that space. So my first advice would be try to find how you're different. Make your channel different in some way, whether it's your personality in your presentation, whether it's the way you rank movies, whether it's the the content that you decide to cover, whatever it is, try to set yourself apart. Um, like I could have started a YouTube channel six years ago about my love for movies. And if I had just strictly done movie reviews and talked about movies and not decided to talk about my love for movies within this vein of in this view of physical media and like taking that route. I don't think my channel will be anywhere near where it is. So that's my first advice. Find find your niche and, and stick to it. Um, but a reasonable subscriber goal, honestly, after one year, like 500. Like, I, you know, if you're consistently uploading for a year, um, 500 to 1,000 would be, in my opinion, really, really well done, especially if you don't have an audience from anywhere else. Like when I started YouTube, I had been writing for a little bit. I had an Instagram page with a few thousand followers. Like I got to 500 pretty quick because people had followed me. But that first 1,000 subscribers is harder than the next 10,000 and the next 100,000. Like that first 1,000 is the hardest to get. Once you get that first 1,000, you start to get a little momentum, but consistency is the key. If you upload three or four times a week for a year, you should get there. You do it for six or seven years like I have, you'll get to 100,000. Most people will if you're consistently 
uploading uh, content. And part of it, you have to get lucky and you really have to push yourself and market yourself. But, you know, 500 to 1,000 in a year, I'd consider yourself successful, especially in this space that's so competitive. Um, let's see, another question here from, let's do, let's do, let's do, let's do this one from, um, Gary R, do you ever host watch parties with family or friends? Do you find most of your film viewing as more solitary experience? Um, I do watch a lot of movies with, with family. Um, I don't do a ton with friends. I don't know. I've always felt weird about like, Hey, you know, you have a, you have a friend come over and like, you just put on a movie, you know, and like, like if I have people come over, like, I want to, I want to talk to them. I want to hang out, you know, we'll probably have something playing in the background, whether it's a, you know, a basketball game or, you know, even like the office episodes of the office or, you know, a, a, like an Adam Sandler movie that's on comedy central we'll have something playing in the background. But like, if I'm watching a movie, I want to focus on it. So I will watch with like family. Like I watched Top Gun Maverick with my family and, um, you know, that was a lot of fun. We watched it at my parents' house and we'll do stuff like that. But most of what I do is not necessarily solitary because I watch most of them with my wife, but it's sort of just the two of us. Like if I want to watch a movie, I, I like to get into it and focus. I don't want to be talking to people during the movie. I don't want to be distracted. Like that's sort of my escape. So I don't really do the watch party thing. That's just not, not for me. I see how people, you know, would have fun with that. I think it works better for TV shows or like, you know, you want to do watch parties for some competition show, something like that. I think that's more fun, but, uh, movies I take, I take very seriously. Like I want to be locked into a movie. So if you're not going to be locked in, uh, I'll get frustrated because I'll be distracted. Um, Caden Hirschberger here. What's your favorite or proudest aspect of your collection? Um, man, that's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, good question, Caden. I think my, my favorite aspect of my collection is probably all the boutique stuff. Um, which if you watch my recent uh, complete collection video, I did, um, that's the stuff that's not on the spinning towers. That's the stuff that's, um, in the back of the room over by my, my TV and the home theater setup. That's my shout factory, screen factory, arrow imprint criterion, vinegar syndrome, synapse. I, I love that part of my collection because a lot of that stuff is obscure. A lot of that stuff is, um, just not available anywhere else. It's not available on streaming. So like, that's my, that's my favorite part. I, I find myself going over to that shelf more often than the spinning shelves I have, which are my A to Z sort of, you know, everything mainstream studio releases, but a lot of stuff, which you can find on streaming. So I really love the boutique section and I'm really proud of that because I also feel really good about supporting those companies. Like those are small businesses in a very tough market in a world where people want to stream and want to have digital purchases. They are still pushing physical. And I, I've also bought 99% of those I purchased myself. Obviously I get a lot of the major studio new releases. Now um, they'll get sent to me from the PR firms, you know, for, for review. And that's awesome. It helps me keep up with the content and not completely break my bank. Cause honestly, a lot of these movies, I, like I've mentioned before, like I probably wouldn't be buying at new release, so I wouldn't be covering them. So I appreciate them because they're helping me get more coverage. 
I spend my money buying those vinegar syndrome limited editions and scream factory and arrow video and criterion. And, you know, that's where I spend my money. So that's where I'm like really proud of the support that I've given to those labels. And those collections are really important to me. Um, and then I'm also just super, I, I love my signed stuff, my signed memorabilia, especially if it comes from something that I got as an opportunity from this YouTube channel. Like I have a signed Jordan Peele, uh, 4k steelbook of the movie us and assigned M night Shyamalan steelbook for the movie old and things like that, I think are super cool because I only had the opportunity to get those based on the channel and my content. And then like my jingle all the way Blu-ray, which was signed by Brian Levant, the director, like I interviewed him in the podcast. I sent him my Blu-ray copy. He signed it and returned it. Like these are things that I've only been able to get because of the the work I've put in on YouTube and, and other social media and building my, my content and the brand here. So I, I'm proud of those. Those are really, really cool. Um, and, and I love having those with me. Um, let's see. Andrew Padula asked another question here. It's a good one. Is there a movie you've watched or that's in your collection that you didn't like or appreciate at first, but has since grown on you? Uh, he also says, love the channel. I always learn a lot and add movies to my watch list. So thank you, Andrew. Much, much appreciated. Um, a movie I've watched that I didn't like or appreciate at first, but grew on me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some stuff that I watched. When I first watched it, I was younger. And so I didn't really fully appreciate it um, or or didn't like it. And as I grew up, like you sometimes start to realize, oh, that that movie's like some serious stuff. Like uh, I brought this up earlier, but a movie like The Game, David Fincher, I watched that movie when I was like, I don't know, 14 or 15. And like at that age, you're like, oh, this was cool. You know, this had a cool twist. And but I wasn't like I didn't fully appreciate what that movie was about rewatching it as an older person, I'm not, I mean, I'm not that old, I'm 30 years old, but rewatching it, like in your late twenties, your early thirties, uh, you start to like really connect with those characters a little bit more. And just like the, the idea of like being stuck in a certain life and in a rut and trying to get out of it. And like, that doesn't affect you when you're 14. So there's a lot of movies like that, like even American psycho and the way that it like comments on, corporate America. Like when you watch that movie, when you're 17 or 18 and you haven't had a job yet, you're like, Oh, this is a crazy slasher movie. And you know, this is cool. You know, I like this, but then when you watch it later on, you're like, I really appreciate like what the commentary is here. Like what the American psycho is, is like, damn, like, yeah, I, I feel not, not for the killing and stuff, but like, I feel crazy. Like Patrick Bateman goes crazy sometimes working in this world, like in, in the people he interacts with. And it, you just become like so jaded as you get older and you work in corporate America. So like that type of stuff, it just, as you get older, starts to really resonate. And then there's a lot of stuff too, that once you have kids, you won't appreciate until you do. Um, we need to talk about Kevin, that's a super deep movie that I watched well before I had kids. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of depressing, right? You know, not, not a happy movie, depressing, very serious. Watching that after 
having kids, it's like, okay, I, I appreciate what this is saying and this is killing me as a parent. So that's, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. As you get older and as you have more life experience, there's going to be a lot of movies that maybe you didn't like or didn't appreciate at first that will eventually come around. Um, so let's see. I did get a comment from George Santos who said he can't, I can't wait to be a guest on your podcast, sir. If you don't know George Santos, new congressman from New York, give that one a Google. That is a wacky story. This is obviously a parody account, but boy, he is an odd duck. Um, let's see. I'm just scrolling through the questions here. David Real, uh, or Riel, uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing anybody's names wrong. Uh, what's your favorite guilty pleasure movie? Love this question. Uh, I talked about this with Cliff Stevenson uh, on an earlier episode of the podcast, but I think my favorite, like my guilty pleasure movie is either Gamer is one of them. Like, I don't know why that movie resonates with me, but like that, that idea, and it's becoming more and more real with like the way VR and AR is coming around. But I just think that's such a cool concept and a really cool movie. And it does like this world building that a movie of its size and scope shouldn't be able to do. And it does really well. And it also just has some awesome action sequences. Um, but other than that, it's, it's Adam Sandler stuff. It's, um, it's happy Gilmore. It's Billy Madison. Like those are guilty pleasures. Um, let's see. What do you find most rewarding about collection or collecting? Is this something you plan to pass down to your children? This is from Nick Dijon. Um, the most rewarding thing for me is just like being part of a, a community. Like I think a lot of people watch movies nowadays and there's some really good communities online, but a lot of the content we consume is just like throwaway content, like, you know, stuff trends on Netflix at number one. And then a week later, nobody talks about it anymore. Um, with, with collecting movies and physical media, because there's always like a new remaster or a new limited edition or something, it constantly brings up like older movies and more discussion about movies. And you find so much more, uh, being a part of the collector community, you really expand your knowledge of movies. And that's like what I think is the most rewarding thing. Um, I mean, obviously being able to go down and like pull a movie off the shelf is great and all that, but I just love being part of the community. Um, and then, you know, will I pass it down? I mean, honestly, I think by the time my kids are my age, like physical media will be, it'll be entirely different than what it is now. I don't know what it will be. I give optical discs like five to 10 years left tops and then they have to figure something else out. Like I just think that technology will improve and that will change. So, you know, I, I don't know, like obviously I'm not going to force it on them if they, if they want the collection and um, they want to continue that then yeah, by all means, but I'm not going to force it. I mean, it's just, it'll just be like, you know, a cool thing that I have. And if they want to get interested in it, then they can, but I'm definitely not going to be like shoving it down their throats. Um, if they want it, they can get involved. Uh, Scooby McSnack. Good question. What's your most wanted boutique release and what label would you hope for? And are there any particular special features you'd like to see? It's a loaded question. Um, one movie I've wanted to get released for a very long time is the devils. Um, that's a, that's a horror movie that just deserves to be released. I mean, they're talk. 
it got like banned and it was one of those movies that people had an issue with, but like they're talking now about releasing Caligula on 4k and there's been lots of other banned movies or, you know, stuff that's come out. So like, where is that? Where is Ken Russell's the devils? I would love to see arrow Kino shout vinegar syndrome, uh, criterion, somebody with the, the balls to put that out and do a good job with it. Um, the other one, I'd like to really see is Todd Browning's Freaks from 1932. I believe that is a movie that's well ahead of its time. And I think, I I don't know why it hasn't had a proper like Blu-ray restoration release, but I would love to see that come out. That's probably one that Criterion could take on and do a really good job with. If not them, I'd see probably Kino being the one. Um, but the devils is really just at like the top of my list. Like that's the one that I want. Um, and then there's obviously a bunch of James Cameron and David Fincher stuff. Like I wish somebody would put out a good release of panic room. Um, but yeah, the devils and freaks are the two that I always come back to. Um, I'm going to do a couple more questions. We're about 45 minutes in here. So let me pick a couple more. Um, let's see. A lot of these questions were kind of uh, duplicates, so I'm just trying to pick a a new one, which means you guys are thinking the right way. Um, Cinema Arts 87. Is there any way to drum up interest for a 4K release for King Kong 1933? Preferably by Criterion. I I don't know if I'd say preferably by Criterion, personally. Uh, King Kong 1933, who's got that one? That's, that's, why do I want to say Warner Brothers? Let's look that up. King Kong 1933. Maybe it's not Warner Brothers. It's an RKO movie. I think it might actually be Universal. Um, Whoever owns it at this point. I'd like to just see them put it out. Um, I don't think it needs any special edition. I think it makes perfect sense that that type of movie just gets released. The way to drum up interest for something like that, that's so old, that's now 90 years old as of this year, which would be a great reason to release it, 90th anniversary. Um, The way to drum up the interest is really just like, you know, there's nobody left, like the director's not going to be alive, the stars of that movie aren't going to be alive. Um, you You have to find somebody who would champion for that. But I honestly don't think that that's one that we have to like really drum up interest. I would be absolutely shocked if you don't see that movie come out in the next year or two they probably need to do some restoration work on it that's probably taking a long time um but you know we're getting every other king kong movie on 4k and with like kong and godzilla resurgence of king kong here in popular culture like there's no reason that shouldn't come out uh, unless there is a technical reason why it hasn't um so let's do two two more questions two more questions um, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Sorry, just scrolling through, just scrolling through. Rick Shaw, where do you sell discs that become redundant due to upgrading? Right now, I sell them all on Whatnot. If you guys haven't joined me over there, um, it's a live streaming shopping app that I actually really like because I get to live stream and talk to you guys while I also sell things in a live auction. Um, so. That one's super cool. And uh, there, there'll be a code 
uh, or a link, sorry, in the description in all my videos, you get $15 for free if you sign up with my link. Like there's no catch. You make an account, click my link, create an account with that link. You get $15 in your account to buy movies with. No brainer, but I've been buy, selling about once a month on there. And that's my favorite, favorite part. Um, and let's do a couple more. Well, this one here, I mean, what, what's your take on physical media? from home cinema demo, uh, will it live on? Um, I mean, the short answer is yes. Like it's, it will live on in some way. Um, it may not be the major studios playing in this game for much longer if they're trying to, um, you know, get out of that world. But there's so many companies that employ quite a few people that are doing boutique stuff. I mean, as long as vinyl records and CDs and now like, cassette tapes still sell dvds and blu-ray and 4k are, are still going to sell like it's not going to disappear um it's even picked up recently the number of releases in 2022 was larger than ever before in the history of physical media now the sales may not be at that level because you don't have you know 100 million people buying the vhs or the dvd of the lion king but we have more releases than ever before so clearly there's a market it's shrinking but it's not slowing down it's like it's not going anywhere 2023 probably have more than 2022 it's been an insane year so far for for boutique stuff and even studio stuff so and, and as the studios look for ways to find profit i've talked about this before but like it costs you what five bucks to get a movie out and press to disc and you can sell it for 20 um that <laughs> that's a lot better than some of the streaming returns. So I think that that's, that's just the reality. Um, I think it'll, it'll stick around and maybe studios will start to license, uh, more stuff out to make some money. Cause that's an easy way to make some, some additional profit. Um, let's see one last question here, then we'll sign off. Chad 77. I like this one. Do you think there will ever be an 8k physical media disc? Um, short answer for this is no. Um, the reason being a lot of these movies that have been remastered at 4k are at the end of their life. Like 4k is the end of the restorations. A ton of these movies couldn't go much higher than that and see any noticeable difference. Blu-ray to 4k is already tough for the average consumer to kind of break out the difference. If you don't have HDR, it'd be even harder. HDR is a big reason why 4K is is better. 8K, the, the human eye just alone, like unless you have a 10-foot screen, you can't tell the difference. I would challenge anybody out there, if you took a 4K and an 8K image and put them side by side and you showed them 20 different movies, they'd go 50 50 picking which was which like they would not know which one is 8k or 4k It'd be a total guess they'd go 50 50 down the middle they'd be 50 percent correct because i just don't think people can you, you can't see it now technology may improve there could be differences in like color and stuff but i think that's going to come on the side of the panels like that's going to be oled qled mini led um the movies don't really have to adapt to that because they're already transferred and graded on reference quality screens. So if the reference screens in your home get better, like I, I, just, I just don't, I don't think a new format is where physical media is headed. 
we're still selling 50% DVDs in this world. So you're not going to get an 8K disc when 4K has taken six years to even crack 20% of the market. That's just not a reality. Um, nobody's going to invest in 8K masters. You may see some 8K discs from boutique places, but who's making the 8K player? 8K TVs are not selling. Like people are still upgrading to 4K. They don't see a difference with 8K. Those TVs are not selling. What is selling is better tech. OLED, QLED, mini LED, that stuff is selling. That's the tech that's going to make a difference for most people in the future. So no 8K discs. I think it's a complete uh, a complete waste of money for anybody who does do it. Um, I think an 8K TV is honestly a, a waste of money. 4K, you're, you're better off with a high-end 4K TV with good panels and better technology than you are with an 8K TV. Like just buy the higher-end 4K TV if you want to spend that much money. Um, unless... Again, if you're if you're Steven Spielberg and you have a, a billion dollars in a huge mansion and a ten thousand square foot home theater where you want a ten foot screen, sure, think about eight K. It'll matter on large movie screens, large format stuff, IMAX theaters. Like it matters there. It does not matter to you at home on your seventy five inch TV. It just doesn't. It makes no sense to buy. Um, it, maybe there'll be a day where that's all you can buy for a TV, and that's fine if it gets there, but. It, you'll never see a disc. I just don't, I don't think the disc makes any sense. Who's going to be buying it? We're already the niche market as it is. DVD and Blu-ray is already niche. 4K is the niche within the niche. 8K would be literally, there'd be no market for it. So that's the reason why you won't see it. It's not a technology thing. Technology can keep improving all you want, but if there's no market for the technology and nobody's going to buy it, then the technology is useless to businesses. So they'll keep selling what actually sells, which is going to be, realistically in the future, probably DVDs and 4K. 4K will be for the enthusiasts, for people like us, for the collector, the home theater person. DVDs will be for the average consumer. And Blu-rays, they're probably going to phase out 1080p. You'll be seeing more and more just 4K standard editions and a DVD and less 1080p Blu-ray. That's just my opinion. Maybe you guys think I'm crazy, but... I, I have a good idea. We're having a hard enough time getting 4K discs out and getting them to be profitable in some cases. You're not going to see 8K, but I appreciate the questions here. This was fun. 53 minutes answering your questions. Hopefully you got some uh, insights from me. And if I did answer your question, thank you for posing it. If I didn't, nothing against you. I was just scrolling through and picking questions at random that seem to make sense and follow a flow. And, um, you know, I definitely would like to do this again. Of course, if you have any more questions you want me to elaborate on, you can always just put them in the, the YouTube comments. You can always uh, leave me a comment on any video. Uh, I have social media accounts. You can DM me, tweet at me, tag me in a post, send me a, send me an email, you know, whatever, however you want to get in contact. I try my best to answer everybody. But so as always, if you're on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed. If you're on your podcast apps, listening along, make sure you follow, leave us five-star rating. If you're enjoying me there and enjoying the content that helps us grow those channels as well. And, you know, just keep spreading the word about the podcast. I appreciate the support here. Also make sure to follow me on social media. Like I said, those links are in the description. 
as well as all the links to partners like whatnot and other places where you can buy movies, get discount codes, things that I talked about in this video and other videos, stuff from my own home theater, links to that. They're all down in the description on the YouTube video. Um, so you can find all that stuff there. But I appreciate you all listening or watching. I'll be back next week with another episode. Not sure if I'll have a guest yet, if it'll be just me, but I'm going to keep this up. I'm going to keep going week by week. I know I had previously said I might stop and take a pause and do like a seasons thing, but I'm really enjoying this. So I think I'm just going to keep going. So expect more content from me on the podcast. We're going to keep cranking away at this and expect plenty more YouTube videos and content on YouTube as well. So if you're listening and you haven't subscribed on YouTube, make sure you get over there for all the latest physical media. But thank you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe and healthy out there. And I will talk to you all soon. Coming soon. Be sure to subscribe to the Films at Home podcast using your favorite app so you don't miss another episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review this podcast, which helps us out tremendously. You can also help support us by watching our short-form content over on YouTube and TikTok by searching Films at Home. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at films underscore at underscore home. The intro and outro were created by Elon Osborne. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.